welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? Doing great, Parker. Uh, just just a lovely night. We got one week, count it, one week until school starts here in Basin. Dang, it's uh, sneaking yeah. up on you there. Summer summer is over. Summer was a lot less fun as an adult uh, than it is as a kid. I, I agree because there's still responsibility, especially because you're, you're not like teaching and so you still have responsibilities, but yeah. it's like, it's not as relaxed as it feels like it should be, but it's not as engaged as it feels like it should be. Right. And like, I'm not, listen, teacher, I could never be a teacher. They do much more work than I do, but it was like looking at the window and seeing like all the teachers on vacation. It's like, you know, that meme of uh, Squidward looking out at SpongeBob Patrick <laughs> yeah. running by, that's kind of what it felt like, but um, yeah. no, I'm, I'm excited to get back, but uh, uh, how are you? Have you been doing doing all right? Uh, getting getting ready for football season, getting ready for school, and sending things off to get published. And uh, did my first show for BetUS today, where we broke down Group of Five, um, and so that was kind of fun. Me live on video. Um, you can't see this if you're listening to the podcast, but I do have makeup on to try and cover up the enormous bags under my eyes. So um, yeah, it was kind of kind of fun. And uh, football is football is getting here, man. Football is what you tweeted today. It's uh, McKendrick Van Zant plus Tay Barber days until kickoff. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I feel very bad because I, I, the, you know, I've, I've, I've done those intermittently and I've kind of planned them out. And I missed the there are Carter Ware days until oh. TC football. It's just an absolute tragedy. <laughs> that is a shame. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but before we get into what we're here to talk about, uh, our friend Melissa asked us a good question who like what tcu football player realistically could we pay enough to like tweet about this podcast i will say that we have um more than one current player who is a listener right and i have talked to those people about it the issue about getting a tcu player on the podcast like i would love to do like a weekly segment where on sunday night a tcu player like breaks down the game with us or whatever uh, Gary would kill all of no. us. Like, there's no way we could do it feasibly. No. So I, I don't necessarily even need to have them on the pod. I just want them to tweet. Sure, do you love listening to the Purple Theory podcast? And sort of move in on the endorsement deal side of it. Oh yeah. Well, I, my answer to that, of course, would be I want Zach Evans to draw us a logo. Like, oh yeah. Uh, just just an original Zach Evans portrait for Purple Theory as an advertisement. Yeah, I think that'd be great. And also, we need to maximize, okay, who has the most followers, you know, all that. Uh, for, for some reason, you know, Max doesn't have the most followers on the team. But, like, Zach is up there, which which checks. Uh, this, this, this is why we, neither of us were business majors, because someone would have monetized this earlier uh, once the name and likeness dropped. Yeah, I think so. Or like, I, the, there was that Michigan State podcast that, like, at twelve at twelve a.m., like, had three Michigan State players tweet. I've never listened to this podcast, but you should. I'm totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. If if I, I don't care, if Tay Barber is like, literally, don't know who these people are, but they paid me a hundred dollars, and you should listen to this podcast. Totally good. Oh yeah, ours would definitely be the variety of like the Purple Theory podcast paid me twenty five dollars to tell you to listen to it, but I don't care. Yeah, which is all um, yeah, I want. That's, that's yeah, that, that's, that's how it. like I promoted it to my friends. It's like I, I really don't care if you listen, but we're doing it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I got like I got like my wife's phone and my you know in laws my parents' phone and like subscribed them on iTunes to it. So 
I don't care if they listen. Yeah, just subscribe. If you're listening to this podcast and you plan on going to a mall soon, which seems completely unreasonable, uh, go to the Apple Store and on every phone, subscribe to the Purple Theory Podcast. Oh, that's smart. I, that, you know, that, that six follower bump is going to, it's going to put us over the hump. It's going to change our lives. It's going to triple our numbers. Um, we're flipping the script a little bit tonight. I think you might hear my dog. He's a little on edge today and he just is growling at something outside because he is frankly very dumb and threatened by a lot of things. So, um, excuse that background noise. Well, Grant, we're, we're here at the end of our big 12 preview series. Um, it's been a long, it's been a long and winding road. And, uh, you know, at the beginning we said, we're not going to have guests on for the previews and we're going to kind of dive in. And I think that's been a rewarding challenge. I feel this year going in, I have a better thumb on the pulse of every big 12 team than I have ever had, which is interesting because there's all time uncertainty, right. For all, for all these schools. But I really feel like this was fun to kind of dive in and say, what do I know about these teams? What can I learn about these teams? And, and for me, at least that's been very rewarding. I would completely agree, and I would think also it, it, it made me realize, I think, how much this is going to sound like a talking head point, and I don't mean it to, and not the, the fun, like, burning down the house talking heads, um, but it, it amazes me how big the middle tier is in the Big 12, and I think sort of how much parity there is between teams 3-8, to eight, right? I mean, you separate OU and Iowa State. Um, and honestly, OU, as we've discussed, is probably a tier ahead of Iowa State, but I think those are probably the top two. And then teams three to eight, I mean, look, I could see Baylor winning eight games randomly or some, you know, something happening, right? I, there's just so much parity uh, in, in that middle tier, it's, it, which I did not expect going into this year. Yeah, I mean, I think we plausibly have talked ourselves um, into, uh, you know, any team, like there's a path for legitimately eight, seven or eight teams to be in that second spot in, in the big 12 championship, which is um, really interesting. I mean, big 12 always has that deep middle class, but we did save until the very end. Um, we, we, we did save at the very end, you know, the, the team that has been the presumptive favorite, the team that has won uh, the conference every year and, and that you should bet on to win the conference unless um, you know, they, until they don't. Um, and so tonight we're going to preview the Oklahoma Sooners. I can't imagine this is going to be super interesting just because they're very good. Um, so maybe we could poke and prod and, you know, kind of understand what might be some weak spots, what might be different, what might be excellent about Oklahoma. But, um, let's go ahead. If, if, uh, I don't want to talk about any breaking news or anything. Let's go, let's go ahead and dive in. Let's hit it. Yeah. So Oklahoma has won double digit games, um, every year. Uh, except twice since 2006. They handled a transition of power really, really well, where Bob Stoops said, you know, I think I'm going to hang it up, and rather than wait around and let things decline, I'm going to pass it off to this promising up-and-coming offensive mind, Lincoln Riley. And they have just been um, excellent in that transition. Riley has won 12 games, 12 games, and 9 games in his four years so far. Parker, let me ask you, do, do you remember where you were when Bob Stoops retired? No, I vaguely remember a bunch of text messages thinking, oh my gosh, because I think there was something that happened before that. Maybe there's a rumor or something. I, this is just a weird memory. I remember I, my old job at Hood County News, we used to host a junior golf tournament. And I remember getting in my car, uh, checking my phone after running this tournament and handing out all the medals and stuff. And looking at my phone and being like, 
oh, holy hell, Bob Stoops just retired. You'd be like, wow. It was Uncle. definitely unexpected. That yeah. was one of the few, I feel like that was one of the, the, the last few words, or not words, excuse me, last few news events where it truly was unprecedented and there weren't signs that we knew. Like, nothing has been shocking. It's like, hey, there's rumors that they're going to do NIL. And then, right. you know, we hear about it for six months and then they do it. Um. Yeah. So 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 that was. I mean, that was just truly shocking. And I I I do think there was a moment where we thought maybe they're gonna struggle. That's that's where I was going with that. Was like, hey, okay, maybe this is kind of the vacuum where CCU can you know hop in and and you know make some noise. Unfortunately, that was heading into two thousand and eighteen, right? Two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was that was in advance of the two thousand seventeen season, okay. which was I believe Baker Mayfield's a- freshman year or last year. Sorry. Yes, that's when they made the Rose Bowl play Georgia and lost. A game I was on a flight for and did not see and apparently missed the game of the century. Oh, extremely fun. Also, ESPN's like online thing crashed during overtime. Did um it? so a lot of people didn't didn't see a couple plays there because it just they yeah. just absolutely I, screwed it. Yeah. So that trip I got on a plane to Philadelphia and missed or and watched the entire Cheez It Bowl. No, no, no. Wrong year. I got on a, anyway, but I was flying back from somewhere for my friend's wedding in Alabama, and Oklahoma was up like twenty one, whatever. When I got on the plane, and I landed, and I was like, "Oh, what happened here?" Things went downhill very quickly. Yeah, that's why that was a pretty quick turn. I can't imagine being a Georgia fan and having played in the two most ridiculous playoff games in history. <laughs> Um, all of those folks are, you know, there's days off their years off their lives right there. Um, yeah, Lincoln Riley has made the playoff in two of his four years and Lincoln Riley has lost both of those games. One in understandable, but embarrassing fashion to LSU. And then one in heart crushing fashion against, uh, Georgia. They also lost an orange bowl in 2018. Um, they, you know, it, it wasn't, uh, they, they, they played Alabama. Um, oh, I'm sorry. They made the playoff three years in a row. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. So that was the, that was the other playoff appearance. And so, you know, for, for other schools we've talked about, Hey, is this the year they find the quarterback and break through or, you know, they have a ton of returning experience. Can they finally challenge for the second spot or whatever? I think Oklahoma's conversation has to be beyond the big 12, right? We don't care about Oklahoma in the big 12 because they're going to lose a stupid game and uh, and generally they're going to be, you know, the best team by far. And the question is, does Oklahoma finally have a team that can compete for a national championship, not make a playoff, but actually put up a fight and, and, and move on from the first round? Because, um, Grant, I think we talked about this last week and I'll use the same metaphor, but, you know, the last couple of years, being the best team in the Big 12 is kind of like the best gas station sushi in, in Alabama, as we, as we like to say. Yeah. So I think, I think two things there and one kind of touching on an earlier point you made, I don't think Lincoln Riley gets enough credit. Um, you know, Oklahoma is obviously a college football blue blood. I get that at taking over from a, you know, a legend means you have a foundation in place to build upon, but what he's done and his ability to draw top talent to Norman, his ability to kind of, reach into Texas and really pull out a lot of stars that UT or A&M would have snapped up in the past. And his ability to turn that into a winning product on the field, in addition to all of his offensive innovations, I mean, the way he runs um, 
or the way he calls running plays just amazes me. I don't have the words to describe it because he, he does it in a way that I don't think a lot of spread teams do. Um, it, it's insane. And so I just want to make sure that I, I gave Lincoln uh, Riley his flowers because he's he's absolutely nuts. Um, also, apparently yeah, this, two, this is yeah, no, go this ahead. is a, an opportunity for me to kind of get on a soapbox a little bit, but I'll keep it brief. Just like you see all these metrics that are like, who's the best developer in college football? And it's always like Utah and Iowa because they right. recruit shitty players and they make linemen out of them. Sorry, I cursed. Whoops. Uh, and guys like Lincoln Riley and like, n- not that Riley is Saban, but like at the very top, sure, those guys get less credit because it's super easy to say like, oh, people with lower inputs that have like decent inputs, I give them credit. It's really hard to measure like, oh, you have excellent talent and you create an excellent product. That doesn't mean that Lincoln Riley doesn't develop his players or like right. doesn't add any value. Um, that doesn't just happen, right? Recruiting is endogenous. Those those people selecting to go there is part of him. So I totally agree. I think I think he does get underrated. I do think he simultaneously gets a little overrated because okay. they haven't broken through, right? Like the defense right. has been lagging. There's been a clear a clear glaring issue with their team in terms of being elite, not in terms of being you know far and away the best in their conference, but in terms of being this absolute juggernaut on a national scale. They, they haven't been up to par, right? They haven't had a season like 2019 LSU or, or a run like, you know, Clemson or, or Alabama or even Ohio State. They're, they're not in that tier decisively yet. No, I, I think that's fair. I, I would say that Lincoln Riley has maintained a standard of excellence for Oklahoma, right? So the last time Oklahoma won the national title was 2000. Um, they made the title game against Florida and lost uh, one of the Urban Meyer years. And then he's he's taken he's taken them to the playoff what two years in a row I was Stoops there for their first playoff game I, I somehow can't remember that but um, no I think they were all three they were all Lincoln three Riley. Riley I have okay, that, so, I have that pulled up right now and yeah. they did not make the playoff fourteen no fifteen sixteen I, anyway all, all I'm saying is I, I I think Riley has like continued a standard of excellence in Norman and I think. That should be commended. I agree there needs to be a breakthrough for him to be considered among, like, I don't know, the top three coaches in college football. I mean, before this year, that was what? Uh, Saban, Dabo, and Urban Meyer, right? And uh, Yes, I think so. Before, I mean, obviously, Urban's not there anymore. He's with Jacksonville, but it obviously wasn't there. I mean, Ryan Day was there, but anyway. Uh, I, I don't think he's on the level of those guys, but I think he is, like, 2% away from hitting that level. And I, yeah, I think yeah, and, just and, needs... and again, I think we'll get into them and talk about that. Sure. There. I, I think they're pretty close to there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so it's a weird situation because it's you have to talk about Oklahoma in two kind of in parallel, right? You talk about them just absolutely killing the Big Twelve and taking every single arrow that the Big Twelve has thrown at them. I mean, Grant, every team in the Big Twelve gives Oklahoma their best shot every game, mm-hmm. every season. Uh, remember like back when TCU was in the Mountain West and, you know, people talk about TCU and Boise and say, oh, they can't do it week in, week out. SEC schedule is so hard. Th- that That's kind of the argument we have here, except I believe it a little bit more because it's not that, you know, the grind of the Big 12 schedule is so hard, but it's that Oklahoma has a target on their back. Yeah. And every everyone is practicing to try and stop them. Everyone wants to stop them. And so every week they kind of get the, the best shot. Yeah, so I was thinking about like uh, comparing two programs like Oklahoma and Georgia, right? Two very good programs, very elite programs with good coaches that have not broken through, 
You know, Georgia made right. a championship game, whatever. Uh, Oklahoma hasn't, but they haven't won a title. When Georgia plays cross-divisional rivals, say, you know, Georgia draws Arkansas one season from the SEC West. Dude, Arkansas has to play, like, Alabama, you know, LSU in a good year, um, Auburn in a good year, whatever. Georgia's just another, oh, shit, we're good. I just cussed too. Uh, Georgia's just another, hey, an, we're going to get, you know, pounding in this week. Let's try to win against Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and whoever. In, in the Big 12, it's like, hey, Oklahoma's top dog. And if, you know, I'm thinking about last year, Kansas State knocked them off first game of the season, or first game of the conference season. That's a big win for Kansas State. They don't care necessarily about beating TCU as much as they do beating Oklahoma. If, if anything, right. Parker, I, I would say it just means more uh, here in the Big 12. <laughs> That's like the elephant in the room that I just don't care to talk about. <laughs> We're not, not talking about Oklahoma. I know, I, I was, I was, that's not where I was trying to go. I will say it would be very funny if they do end up going to 2022 and they just beat everyone by like a thousand this year. Um, it, dude, honestly, that would be the funniest outcome. Yeah, I'm like, I would not I'm like kind of that. actively rooting for yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's, let's talk about Oklahoma uh, last year. I, I'll read some of our numbers off and then we can kind of go from, from there. So Oklahoma, EPA per play, uh, in margin, they were 13th overall at a positive point one zero seven. They were 12th on offense, which kind of speaks to some some issues and key moments that revealed themselves in, um, you know, the uh, Kansas State and the Iowa State game that, that drug them down. They had a couple performances where, you know, they didn't look excellent. Um, and uh, I can think of, for instance, like five or six straight drives against TCU where they just didn't yeah. do anything, yeah. um, didn't at all. And the problem with their offense is they're, you know, they're like the Python. Uh, they can just... They can eat once and then wait a little bit and then strike again. Like so uh, rushing, they were 47th overall, but in the past they were sixth. 0.542 EPA per pass. Grant, a half a point of value every time the ball left Spencer Rattler's hands. That is um, just absolutely absurd. They were eighth overall in first down rate. 33.5% of their plays resulted in a first down or a touchdown. I'm going to say that again. 33.5, more than a third, more than one in three of their plays resulted in a first down or a touchdown. Tenth uh, in early down EPA. Um, and uh, yeah, just just absolutely absurd numbers this season. So that's kind of one of, the, one of the things that I notice a lot about Oklahoma when I watch them is, and I know this is probably the mark of every elite team, right? But Oklahoma is the one of the conference that I watch the most. Their early downs are so solid. Like they may not be, they may not break a big play, but they're getting four yards or they're getting, you know, three yards, whatever. And they're putting themselves in a manageable third down. Um, when, when they fail, like when it all yeah. goes to hell, they still have a manageable third down. So yes. their their average distance on third down was, you know, 7.23, which is right middle of the pack. So it's, I mean. Yeah. I So, okay. Well, maybe the numbers don't bear me out. Well, just, just not, no, 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 no. That, that, that was to affirm your point is saying, like, generally they're taking shots on first and second down. Yeah. And then they're saying, you know what? If we don't get a shot on first and second down, we can still have a pretty good chance at, yeah. at breaking something open on third down. Yeah. It, it's, it's just brilliant. Um I'm curious to see, Parker, I don't mean to jump ahead, but you, you mentioned they were, what, 13th overall EPA per play, 12th in offense. Where are they in defense? In defense, they were 46th this year. Actually, actually, okay. pretty pretty stout. They were um, 
037, um, 34th against the rush, uh, 44th, a little worse against the pass as, as people are prone to do. Um, and early down ZPA, they were actually really good. They really improved, uh, negative 0.082 early down ZPA, which is 24th overall. So they, they were a, a much stouter defense than, um, they have been in the past, which is an important key for them to kind of move forward. I will say also their two losses this season, Grant, 38-35 to Kansas State and 37-30 to Iowa State. They had a positive post-game win expectancy there. Both of those games I can more or less trace to, you know, Oklahoma should have survived with a pretty right. close loss. The per play stats, they were really kind of out, you know, out gaining, out out beating like beating them out. They had a positive total EPA margin, they had a positive field position margin, uh positive EPA per play margin, positive quality possession rate margin and all in both of those games, there were two drops there that just kind of dictated, you know, ah, this, this, this went from a, a close loss that we're upset about to a, or a close win that we're upset about to a close loss that kind of defined their season. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's totally fair. I, I, I just, I'm a big Alex, uh, Alex Grinch fan, uh, as a defensive coordinator. And, uh, I, I think, you know, 46 in the nation isn't, like a number that jumps off the page at you, but I think for a team as like high paced as Oklahoma, for a team that you know faces a lot of good offenses in the Big Twelve, I, I I expect that number to go up. I mean, depending on their personnel, and, and we'll get to that. But I, I I think hiring Grinch was like a smart move for Riley to realize, like, hey, we need to have a top tier defensive coordinator in here to kind of figure stuff out, or else we're just going to keep having the same season over and over again, where we score on everybody and can't stop anybody. Yeah, well, and 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 I mean, I, I think it's interesting that they got Grinch and that they had this kind of idea of like, here's what's wrong with this, and we're going to go fix it. You just yeah. don't see coaches very often say like, hey, we got to fix this. Also, there was all this political economy stuff about getting Stoops out of there, and right, um, and, and so yeah, Riley handled that well, and and you know, Grinch finally has his guys in there. Um, let's start. We always start with the offense, and I started to go into the offense. Let's start with the defense, Grant, because I think there's actually a ton of Oklahoma's defense to be really excited about. So I don't know where you want to start on the defense, but I feel like you have to start with the edge-rushing trio of Ronnie Perkins, Nick Benito, and Isaiah Thomas, who last year were just an absolute wrecking crew. Grant, uh, like 115 pressures between the three of them, uh, 21 sacks, just an absolutely disruptive uh, unit there. Uh, very, very scary kind of trio uh, of these edge rushing guys who are very flexible. You know, they're not as dynamic or versatile as like a Jalen Petrie from mm-hmm. uh, Baylor. They are true edge rushers, but still OU kind of plays this flex four three. Uh, three, four kind of a deal because these guys can just move around. They can be out wide. They could be, you know, line up at a three point stance on the edge of the uh, line and are just absolutely terrifying. Nick Benito in particular is just, uh, just a, a very scary human being. Oh, he's terrifying. And, and, you know, I was looking and, you know, okay, they lose Perkins, right? He's with the Patriots now, but they return, you know, Benito and, and, uh, and, and they return Isaiah Thomas, which by the way, do you think he's named after the Pistons point guard? I can't imagine. I mean, I, 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 that, yeah, that seems too, too big. That seems too early. I mean, shoot, these kids were born, but like Isaiah Thomas, 
No, because there's another Isaiah Thomas. Who, who am I thinking? I'm so you're bad at the NBA. Of, yeah, thinking of I'm thinking the, of like the, the Boston Celtics, Celtics the really short yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was yeah. like, no, there's no way. No, that's not. But the, that's not there's another Isaiah Thomas. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. Remember there's that study where like the name Kobe, like yes. there are kids right now that Kobe is like the highest name. Yeah. Or yeah, I don't know what the exact name yeah. uh, anyway, number is there, but yeah. That's a fun little diversion. But yes, no, sure. they're, they're, uh, <laughs> their edge rushers were insane. And, and that's... You know, as as much chaos as Oklahoma likes to cause on offense in, in a good way, they kind of had the same attitude on defense where it's like, hey, we had these guys coming off the edge. And, you know, Perkins was insane in run defense as well. And, and Benito and Thomas less so. But certainly against the pass, they're going to ruin your day. And they're going to disrupt at least five plays that, that are, you know, that you thought were going to succeed. They're not going to succeed. And that is Alex Grinch's favorite phrase. Negative place. Yeah. Alex Grinch is all about if I can if I can ruin your life on first down, then you can ruin your own life on second and third down. That is his philosophy. He is so aggressive early on. Um, just saying, you know what? We're 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 gonna pin our ears back, we're gonna come get you, we're not gonna let you do what you want to do on on first down. And uh they they were really good at it last year. Their early downs EPA on defense. Uh, I think I may have said this out loud already. Negative 0. 0.082, 24th. Their first down rate grant, 23.7, which is 20th overall. Um, they they just said, look, you're not getting the big play. We're going to deny you early, um, and we're going to make you really, really earn it. Grant, 8.91 average yards on, uh, yards to go on third down, first overall in the nation. And to think they did all this with uh, Bookie Bradley Hines on the roster. Which they don't yeah, have. Yeah, what anymore. a what a guy. <laughs> um, that I, I don't know why I have such a, a a hard spot for Bookie Riley Hines, who by the way I do because he sucks. <laughs> well, he's yeah, he's he, he sucks big time, and he's no longer um, he transferred. But uh, oh mean, my gosh, Brady, he went somewhere hilarious. He went like oh, Utah. He did. I right? have it. I have it pulled up. Let me see. Um, I have the transfer portal pulled up. He went to the Washington Huskies. Weird. I mean, there's a world where he would fit. Okay, so part of all right, this is not what I expected to do this morning. When I woke up this morning, Grant, I did not know I was going to do this. Stats War presents, in conjunction with the Purple Theory podcast, a defense of Boo Bookie Brendan oh, Radley no. Hines. <laughs> He's a bad fit for this defense. <laughs> He's like a cornerback who's not a cornerback. Like, when you ask him to cover people as a safety, he's actually a linebacker. When you ask him to play linebacker and fill in the rush, he's actually a safety. Like, everything they asked him to do, he was ill-suited for. Yeah. Um, that could be because he's a bad football player. But <laughs> it could also just be he's a, you know, he's a, a, square, a square peg in a round hole or whatever. I guess geometrically that might fit. The round peg in a square hole. I can't remember. <laughs> whatever one is bad. Um, and, and so I could see a world where he goes and plays somewhere where they play a little bit more dime and they, you know, they have a guy who's in his same position, but a little faster than him on the field. And he gets to play a little bit more physicality, a little more around the box, but not relied on in the box. I don't know. I will forever have burned in my retina. It's just this hilarious play against them last year where Tay Barber went in a little motion and ran a sail route and Bookie turned his hips like seven times on that play. And <laughs> Tay Barber was maybe seven yards past. It was awesome. Just, it was is is life giving. I'm gonna miss that guy. Uh, but who's, uh, so, gonna, who's gonna take their helmet off on the field after a play and stare at an opposing player like nine times a game? What are we gonna do <laughs> next year? 
<laughs> I will say, outside. Can I pause this podcast real quick? I'm going to go put that uh, Michelle uh, Sarah McLaughlin song. Yeah, uh, I will in remember the background you. And, and put a cut of Boo Bradley Hines sticking his own. We not for yeah, uh, I think we're talking about two different songs, but same artist. Anyway. There's a lot of Sarah McLaughlin's. There are. There are. Um, they do, okay, so Bookie's gone, but they still return, like, two of their starting safeties, which is some good consistency in the defensive backfield. Yeah, and, so, and some really good ones. Um, yeah. I think, uh, like, Dar- uh, Delarin Turner-Yell, I uh-huh. have him as being responsible for... Uh, you know, 30, 35 tackles, 12 stops. Um, so really involved. He was kind of a victim just the way that it works of like, he gets credited with big plays. And so if he's making tackles, his EPA is inflated, which is just a little unfortunate. But like, I think, I think Yell and then Pat Fields back there as safeties are just um, really, really good players and really, really solid. Yeah, Fields, I'm not as sold on as I am Yell. I mean, I'll, but I will say this, Fields played the most downs of any Oklahoma defender last year. Um, I think he was like, hey, like we're going to have to turn to you. Like, you're kind of the anchor, and I think he's going to improve coming into this year. I really like Turner Yale, uh, and so I'm excited to see what he can do back there. Um, the rest of the defense is just kind of solid all the way through. Right? I mean, there's no yeah, major I, I, I weaknesses. I have some questions about the cornerbacks. That, okay. That's where if I had to – because like, edge rushing is elite. I think at linebacker, it doesn't matter as much because they're playing a four down. Yeah. And so that's definitely a question that I, I, I think you could say linebacker, I don't know. But I think their up front is going to be so disruptive, it's not going to matter. Yep. The big thing for Oklahoma, especially if we're talking about Oklahoma on the national stage and not just in the Big 12, is who's going to be able to contain this kind of downfield threat. So yeah. you're thinking about a safety, and you're like, okay, a guy like Deuce Vaughn, mm-hmm. right? Oklahoma is going to have safeties that can kind of play that hybrid linebacker position and match up on him and not get caught in mismatches. Um, uh, you think about a tight end. I guess Nobody else really has a tight end. Charlie Kolar, I guess. Yeah. You know, the two safeties are going to be able to be versatile enough to play. I can cover Deuce Vaughn. I can cover Charlie Kolar. That, that, they're going to take care of that in the Big 12. But you look at when you get to these kind of national teams and, you know, you're playing, hey, I, I, uh, Florida last year is a great example. I'm putting a running back in the backfield and then I'm splitting him out or I'm putting a slot receiver in the backfield and, and, and splitting him out. How are the cornerbacks going to have to be able – or how are the cornerbacks going to be able to perform – kind of on an island because those safeties are going to have to be so versatile. And that's what really worries me. Um, last year, you know, DJ Graham uh, and, and Trey Brown were kind of the two traditional corners there. And neither of them was, was, was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think what two passes, uh, no, four, six, excuse me, six passes broken up between the two of them, not super disruptive. And OU was a, a teeny bit susceptible to the pass. they, you know, uh, 0.117 EPA per pass, which isn't, it's not ideal. It was no. 44th in the nation. So I think that's going to be the question this year is the defense is going to be better. The pass rush is going to be excellent again, but those cornerbacks are going to be prone to isolation. And do they have a guy that can step up and say, I'm going to kind of lock this down? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I'm looking at stats and just trying to compare, like, okay, this is a caveman stat here, but, like, interceptions by, co- by cornerbacks, right, for, uh, or, or even pass breakups by uh, Oklahoma's corners. It's Trey Brown is, is your leader in the clubhouse there. Um, but Trey Brown is not on the roster anymore. Uh, Woody Washington only played in six games last year. He, he's up there, but I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I'm not sold on the corners. 
I think the talent at safety may be enough to kind of cover those issues, though, at least. Yeah, so again, like, let me tell you, if I was picking my poison of, like, where I'd rather be weak, I'd rather be extremely strong at safety, extremely strong on defensive line, and say we're going to take our chances and, and, and figure it out. Yeah. And it's not like they're not strong um, at 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 cornerback and linebacker. It's just that they're relatively weak there. Right. And so a right. defense that's going to improve um, is is yeah yeah I, no I, I know it's what you worrisome mean. as like a TCU fan, but yeah. I do think that. Those are, you know, if I'm going to attack them, I'm really going to try and get their linebackers and I'm really going to try and get cornerbacks in isolation. Yeah, and, and we've seen, like, listen, with TCU, that's kind of been our, our yeah, because I, I wear a jersey. That's kind of been TCU's, uh, you know, consistent or makeup on defense for the last couple of years. I mean, we've seen when, I'm not going to name the poor guy's name, but we've seen when a corner comes into the game that is clearly overmatched by a wide receiver, they immediately target him. Let's say he's a third-string guy who has initials for his first name. And they immediately target him, and they score. Uh, yeah, and what, what irks me about that is that that play, like literally right now, I just went to get the drive-by-drive drive from ESPN.com, and the first highlight that comes up from TCU Oklahoma 2020 is that play where yeah. that third-string cornerback gets completely burned the first play. Because, one, Lincoln Riley is mischievous, right? Yeah. Like, I would absolutely do that. I don't, I don't, I don't hold that against him, but it's like – that's not the highlight from the game. That's that's expected. Right. Um, that's that's not what should be happening. So yeah, um, okay. I think that their defense will not be an elite unit. No. But I think it will be uh, substantially better than what I had them as forty sixth. I think they'll be like a top thirty unit, which takes Oklahoma to a, a level of scariness that the Big Twelve has not seen. Already. Well, that's what I was going to ask, and I, don't, I certainly don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But just you know, yes or no, whatever, is the defense good enough? Yeah, I think we'll I think we'll look at that on the schedule. Yeah, and um, I I I think that we'll kind of see that like that'll be the deciding factor in some games when we look at them. Is the defense going to be good enough? But the question is, I mean, they held last year. You know, they held uh, Iowa State to thirty and twenty one. Iowa State had a really good offense. Yeah, right. They held Oklahoma State, who was healthy, to thirteen. They held. Uh, I mean, they, they, they were pretty pointsy to Texas, but other than that, I mean, the, the defense was pretty stingy. Yeah, and that and Texas so, game went to overtime, so that's kind of hard to, to judge. Too. Yeah, you get per drive or whatever. I mean, in terms of total EPA, realistically, the Kansas State game, the um, uh, the Kansas State game was the only one uh, where they really allowed like substantial points over average, points over expected. Yeah, which again, if you think about. Hey, you get a kickoff and you get the ball where you start. You know, if if you start with an expected points of like three point three and you kick a field goal, I don't I don't fault my defense for that, right? No. And so the Kansas State game is really the only one where they're like, ah, this was bad. But the rest of the time, I mean, they there was never any doubt about whether uh, OU's defense was going to give way and let let a team win. So like you think about TCU two thousand nineteen, TCU had the ball down less than the score and a chance to win and just. They, they, they didn't have the offense. They couldn't no. score. But OU's defense let people in the game in 2019. 2020, that really wasn't the case. No, it wasn't. I mean, they had pulled back. I Sorry, I, I'm, I'm digressing here. Oklahoma was unranked for two straight weeks. I know, that's really funny. It was like <laughs> it was almost like punitive, right? Yeah, it's um, like you lose to Kansas State, you lose to Iowa State, go take a timeout. Them's the rules, man. Them's, them's the rules. rules. And then they finished the season ranked sixth. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they absolutely murdered a Florida team that to be that, fair, that, that was just really funny. That whole yeah. situation, <laughs> Dan Mullen and that wasn't our real team or whatever is like again, Grant, what's my philosophy about everything? Avoid preventable losses. Yeah. That's all you gotta do. Avoid a preventable loss. Dan Mullen, not in the game. I'm talking off field. <laughs> Dan Mullen could use some <laughs> advising about avoiding preventable losses. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, golly. Okay, let's talk about the offense because I think it's weirdly more unstable than the defense, even though it's going to be good. I think it's going to be really good. There's just a lot going on. I think it's going to be really good. I think it's good. There's just so much turnover, and that's kind of where the instability comes apart. There's some guessing games in terms of transfer portal in and out. It's amazing how much OU like has switched on the transfer portal this offseason. Especially with big names. Yeah, so let's let's start there. Can you hit me with what? So what transfers are we looking at? Right. Um, for for OU this year, what positions are they filling through the transfer portal? Right. So obviously, okay, you, you lose Tanner Mordecai, you lose Chandler Morris, a quarterback. That's not an issue because Spencer Rattler's on the roster. So who cares who's your starter? And um, and Brian, what's his name, is in the background. Brian Williams is the um, NBC that's the NBC anchor. news anchor, performer, whoever NBC news anchor. Williams, somebody. They they have somebody in the background. That's fine. Uh, yeah, and, and so you lose uh, TJ Pledger to the transfer portal, uh, which is, you know, okay, he was a really good backup to Ramondre Stevenson, but you fill that spot with Eric Gray from Tennessee, right? Yeah. He is a good running back. You lose Creed Humphrey to the draft, but you kind of fill his spot and a, and another offensive line spot uh, with, with Wanya Morris from Tennessee coming over with Eric Gray and Robert Congle from Arizona. Um, Can I... Um... Yeah. Can I can I do some breaking news? Sure. Did I miss something? I don't know if I'm so authorized to say this, so I'll, I'll keep it vague. Wanya Morris has some problems. Okay. Interesting. Wanya Morris might not play for Oklahoma. Okay. Well, that is very interesting. Um, it is not a it is not a crime or a moral failure. Okay. That's I, good. I can't really I don't I'm not comfortable or confident enough to say anything past that. I don't really have inside info. I'm just saying I don't think he's starting. Okay. Um and so their offensive line was like eight deep with starters. Now yeah. it's only seven deep. Oh no, what are we gonna do? <laughs> right. Um but I, I think they're really, really start I think uh stout about the offensive line. I think that most coaches in the FCA or FBS right now would trade their starting left tackle for Eric Swenson. Yes, who's going absolutely. To fill in for Oklahoma. Yep. So I, I, I think they have a really, really stout unit. I think that Wanya Morris is not going to be a part of that. Okay, that's interesting. That, that's, in, that's info I didn't have. Um, yeah, that's that's really recent that I that I okay. that was even put on my radar. Well, so good to know. Um, I, I think Congo will be good from Arizona anyway to so fill in, and even if he's not, and, I mean, and great depth at the very. Yes. I mean, again. The OU has had a really crazy run. Gosh, I wish I remember the stat. But, like, OU has had starters miss, like, three offensive line games in the last four years or something. It's insane. Which, to me, like, Lincoln Riley's got the strength and conditioning stuff down. Yeah. Um, that suggests, you know, it's not just coincidence. And so depth there, though, is is great. Like, it's always a good good thing to say, hey, we have seven guys who could start. You know, TCU last year, you end up starting walk-ons because you just can't you just can't stay healthy. The more depth you have offensive line is is always better so i i think Congle, even if he doesn't play a down the fact that he's there and is capable absolutely yep. huge absolutely huge and then also on the offensive line i mean uh um 
Swenson returns. Marquise Hayes returns. Who he, Hayes looks, is real good. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He, yeah, he's, I mean he's big. He's six five, three twenty four. Uh, Ian McIver played a little bit of center last year. Um, he returns to redshirt senior. I imagine he'll kind of fill that Humphrey role at center. Um, I don't. I mean they'll be stout up front. Uh, it's just adding you know Congo and okay maybe Morris whatever and then Gray coming in to kind of fill that running back spot. Um, they got they have a wide receiver from uh, Arkansas coming in. Uh, have another running back coming in and trade Mike, Bradford. Mike Woods, yeah, Mike yeah, Woods Mike is Woods. a real yep. good receiver. I yep. think I think he'll fit in, slot in really nice with what they're trying to do. Yeah, um, um, on on offense there for sure, for sure. And I mean, it's it just they just keep adding solid players, man. It's ridiculous. And it, frankly, I think it's unfair. Um, they also added a, they also added a punter from Arizona State. In case you're curious. Break up, break up, big Oklahoma. That's what that's what I'm running on. In yeah, exactly. But but, but, I mean, um, but Riley does oh, this. He just finds players to fill gaps. I mean, okay, you know, whether it's through the transfer portal with Murray and Jalen Hurts or you know, and Mayfield, whatever. And now he's got a homegrown guy in Rattler. That's obviously a quarterback, but he has the ability to recruit and find these guys to kind of to to, to fill any holes or, or really just fill out depth on the roster that I think few coaches have. And some of that is program-based for sure because it's Oklahoma, but some of it is coaching. And some of it is, hey, it's a fun system that puts a ton of people in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think he'll, you know, I've heard people kind of toss accusations of like, Riley's just going to sell out for the portal and, you know, until he gets the NFL job he wants or whatever. And I, I think he just has a knack for yeah, um, kind of finding guys and saying, hey, like Mike Woods, you're unhappy. Dude, you don't have to go lose games at Arkansas. Come yeah. be a part of this. Um, so yeah, so uh, uh, along the receivers, I, I think Woods is a great transition there. OU's receivers had a down year, right? They, they, they dropped balls. They did not create separation. It was very confusing. Um, I do not expect that no. to be the case no. this year. I think Marvin Mims is quietly one of the best receivers. 16.5 yards per reception last year um, on, an, on an A dot of... Oh my gosh, I should have had it uh, of 15.4. So he's like their possession receiver kind of a guy. And and I, I think that he last year played a role of, I clearly have the best hands. I can get open. Spencer, just find me, dude. And so this year, you know, they they, they add they add Woods. They have Weiss um, that can just kind of, and Jeremiah Hall and Austin Stogner at, at tight end, just kind of over that middle ground. Yeah, You know, Lincoln Riley's favorite play, Grant, is this, leak sting combination and it's so dang annoying so the leak tcu fans will know is the route where a guy just is open somehow mm-hmm. and what happens on the leak is a guy lines up and it's usually like a tight end or somebody in pretty close and normally a tight end for lincoln riley and what they do is kind of act like they're blocking and then they just leak out of the offensive line slip in between the linebackers linebackers attentions elsewhere and then they rub off of the receiver. So Lincoln yep. Riley coaches the receiver pick. He's telling the guys right off of that referee's shoulder, I want you to go there and you're going to be open every time. And so what happens is you get a guy like Ardarius Washington last year against CCU, uh, saw that play and turned and looked and thought, oh, I thought he was blocking. I did not give him a second thought. I'm six yards away from him. This is going to go poorly. So Grant, what do you do to stop the leak? Well, you need a corner who can turn his hips. You need, you know, all these things. You need guys that can kind of spread out. And so what Lincoln Riley does, that's just evil. It's evil. What he does is he sends that guy on a leak route. Everybody's watching for the leak route. And then he takes the slot guy on the other side and has him dart underneath the other way. And so if you focus your attention on the guy that's leaking out, you leave this guy here who is just wide open in the middle. 
Grant, last year, Spencer Rattler had, uh, let me get my numbers exactly right. Spencer Rattler had 28 touchdowns. Nine of them came in between zero and 10 yards in the middle of the field. 100%, that's the sting. I think they call it a dart or a sting. Yeah. That's that sting route on the league where he's just like, oh, you'd like to cover the guy downfield so he doesn't get 100 yards that way. Great, I'm going to throw it to you underneath and let you go that way. So Rattler's dot last year uh, in uh, overall was 10.2. His yards per, um, uh, yards per attempt was 9.6. That's not what I want. I want yards per completion, but that's not here. Um, but so his eight out was just, was, was 10. He's, he's still throwing a lot of deep balls, but as people become wise to the deep ball, what OU's doing is saying, fine, we'll just take what's underneath, which makes the combination of Stogner and Hall just terrifying on offense. Oh, it's horrifying. And, and so this is actually, okay, this is a really good transition and I don't mean to uh, like break up, kind of go on position by position, but uh, Spencer Rattler's passing like numbers are really weird, and you mentioned like his his kind of that short middle, right? Fifty three of sixty eight, nine touchdowns and a pick. Right? That's the most touchdowns of any kind of quadrant or whatever. However you break that up, twelfth of the field, middle over the uh, over the middle and kind of middle distance between ten and twenty yards. He had one touchdown and four picks, and then deep yeah. middle he had eight touchdowns and a pick. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Don't don't let me get Socratic, but I'm just I'm just asking so we can kind of get through that. So sure. I think I can explain the underneath with kind of the dark sting and like a guy in space who's running. Remember we talked about the common themes, like Steve Sarkeesian said, Jalen Waddle and I are the same speed standing still. And so if they are, you know, getting a guy in coverage over, and so the long route is clearly, you know, the leak, the guy is open, and I'm gonna hit you long and, and hit a touchdown there because 524 yards on on 15 attempts there is, uh, I don't know, I can't do math. 524 divided by like 15 is 34.9 yards per completion on the deep routes. But in the middle there, that's probably the read. And that's probably yeah. where Spencer Rattler is forcing throws. Yep. And that's, that's your problem with the superstar quarterback, right? The young guy saying, I need to make a play. I'm going to force a play. Grant, I don't have this data uh, available to me, but I bet if you broke that out by game, we would see most of those picks and those incompletions on that on that middle quadrant in kind of the first half of the season. Uh, remember, they, Grant, I don't know that we... I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. They benched Rattler yeah, during the Texas game. they did, which was very dumb, point, but they did. Yeah. Well, to prove a point, I think, to... Yeah. to I mean, I, I think that was disciplinary, right? Like, mm-hmm. not in a sense of he did anything wrong, but in a sense of, like, you need to you need to do what we want you to do or know that we can go find someone else, which granted, no, they couldn't. It was Chandler Morris and Tanner Mordecai. But, but still. still, you know. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I well, think I that's thinking. my theory is kind of long is when somebody breaks something open. Short is kind of that underneath, you know, dart route or whatever, sting. And then the middle there is where Rattler really said, I want to make these NFL type throws. And Lincoln Riley's like, dude, I don't think you need to. And so he's forcing yeah. those. I think you might be right, because looking at his game logs from last year, Ratner threw three picks against Kansas State in the second game of the season, and a pick each against Iowa State and Texas in the next two games. He threw two picks the rest of the season. One against Kansas, I love it. which, you know, who, it's Kansas. He was probably just joyriding, and then one against Baylor. I uh, love it when I'm right. I absolutely yeah, you, you, you absolutely it. nailed that. Yeah, I'm pretty impressed. I, I also love from Rattler, if we're just doing Rattler pit, uh, Please, you know, do Rattler yeah. backs— so if I kind of go in the perimeter, right, like downfield, so longer than 10 yards, 
and I go the halo, not in the middle of the field, right? The periphery. He has what? 29, 42, 56 attempts, one interception. Good God almighty. Right? Like those are contested balls. He is putting them in garbage buckets. He has accuracy and a touch that is just incredible. And you know what? His bad hairdo aside and the fact that he tries to do the Heisman stutter step, whatever, sometimes it just gets drilled. Um, an absolutely excellent quarterback. Grant, I think Oklahoma fans, their brains are broken by success because they complain about Spencer Rattler so much. And it's because they have this insane standard and they don't realize like he is that good. He's just young. Um, yeah. I don't, I, is there any doubt in your mind that he is the best quarterback in the, in the uh, FBS right now? Oh, uh, you get that UNC fandom out of here. I know that was a howl hesitation. You don't believe that. That's hashtag howl hesitation, folks. Uh, <laughs> hashtag howl hesitation. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think. I mean, I'm trying to think of others around. No, I, I think it's it's him. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's got to be Rattler. I mean, just in terms of, like, he has all the talent, and he has the offense that will allow him to unleash it. Yeah, and 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 all the all the surrounding talent you could want. Grant, a name we have not said. This is insane. This is how stacked Oklahoma's offense is. Do you know who we haven't talked about at all? Kennedy freaking Brooks, yeah. who opted yeah. out of 2020 and was a monster in 2019. He's back. Yeah. He's fresh after a year of just working out and resting and biding his time. Um, yeah, so their their defense is it's I want to say death by a thousand cuts, but Grant, death by a thousand cuts. What that implies is that they're just going to, you know, do a lot of little things to hurt you. This is like death by a thousand haymakers. Yeah. Which presumably means they kill you early and then just keep beating your lifeless corpse, which that's what Oklahoma does to the rest of the Big 12. It is. And they have so many ways they can do it. And and they're so principled in the ways that they do it. And, you know, you look, you know, every a ton of wide receivers had, you know, uh, better than average, I would say, uh, you know, yards per reception, yards per uh you know, target and, and average depth of field. I mean, or excuse me, average depth of target. I mean, Parker, you mentioned, you know, Marvin Mims is quote unquote, their possession wide receiver. Um, Parker, tell me if this is a good thing or not. Is it a good thing when your possession wide receiver averages 16.5 yards per catch? Yes. Okay. It is, it is, it's good. Okay. I, that's I, I'm going to unequivocally say, yeah. yeah. Can I read you the EPA per target? Cause you just said they all have positive value or whatever. The EPA per target I was guessing, of, their, sure. of their, of their, of their three guys that are returning. Uh, Weiss, 0.558 EPA per target on 50 targets. Marvin Mims, 0.971 EPA per target on 42 targets. Weiss had a 60% success rate. Mims had a 55% success rate. 47.6% of Marvin Mims' targets. Grant, not his catches, not his completions, his targets. Almost one out of two times you threw the ball to Marvin Mims, it ended up as a first down. That's ridiculous. That's insane. Um, like you can't, I, my brain, it's Grant. It's like, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Uh, I have not, no. Okay, one, absolutely should. It is It is truly grand. But you cannot comprehend. You've seen it on postcards, right? Mm-hmm. You might have seen it out of, the, out, of the, out of a plane looking at it. You go stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and you stare at it and your brain doesn't know what to do. It has no way to comprehend this. Oklahoma's offense is like that. We just can't appreciate just the level of efficiency and ruthless uh, efficiency that they that they have. Just absolutely insane. It is insane. I, I will say, I, I called Marvin Mims. Um, he's the best wide receiver 
well, him and uh, Jackson, I can't pronounce his last name, the place for uh, Ohio State, but Marvin Mims is probably the best wide receiver in Texas high school football history. And I, I saw that coming. He, yeah, I saw and, that coming. He's, he's insane. He might be the best receiver in the Big 12. And the Big 12 is stacked at receiver right now. I could argue maybe eight, ah, seven guys who are the best receiver in the Big 12 right now. And I think he's actually the best one. I think he is too. I mean, he has no weaknesses. I mean, he's quick. He's fairly big. I mean, he, he has great hands. He, he just gets open and makes plays. I mean, you know, like you said, four, okay, 49 targets, but 37 receptions at nine touchdowns. I mean, the guy's just insane, Parker. Yeah. And, and, and he can yeah. do it lining up pretty much wherever. I mean, he was in the slot a third of the time, you know, last year. And, and he was out wide, you know, two-thirds of the time. But, but that's a, a fairly decent variance, I think, for a guy that is your primary wide receiver. The ability to move him around the field it really makes him an asset. Yeah. And what's scary is I think Lincoln Riley would tell you that the receivers and Spencer Rattler had a down year last year. They were not as good as they could have been. I think it um, would too. That's, that's scary. Yeah. Let's, um, I could sit here and wax poetic. I'm cutting myself off yeah. because I, their offense is just incredible. Let's, let's do the schedule. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to pull it up where I can write down what I, what I think. Cause I like to keep track. Of this. So one, I, I think they start off with maybe the most fun game in college football. They're going to New Orleans. Oh, yeah. They're playing Tulane, maybe. And it's on ABC, yeah. 11 a.m. kit. I, I mean, that that's just very fun. I, I love the spirit of that. Um, I have no doubt that they're going to win that handily, of course. Um, and then they play Western Carolina as kind of a tune-up on September 11th, never forget. And uh, so, again, an, an easy 2-0. and And then, Grant, the game that Oklahoma fans would tell you broke the, broke the Big 12 up forever uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma, 11 a.m. in Norman. Um, it's going to be a bloodbath. It's just sad at this point, right? <laughs> like, there's a world where, like, this is historic and storied and competition, and it's just sad. I, I, my old roommates, shout out Joey and Fallon, were big Nebraska fans. I think Fallon's family is from Nebraska. Uh, it, it, it's this game is going to end 62 to 20. Yeah. I, it's going to get bad, and I think that Lincoln has a. Um, he has enough history. I mean, he went to Tech when Nebraska was in the Big Twelve. Like he coached at yeah. Oklahoma. He knows kind of the stakes. This is the game to tell your fans, like, hey, we are not screwing around this year. I also think that Josie, the athletic director, has a vested interest in OU blowing the oh, doors yeah. off. Oh yeah. Um, okay, so three and zero, very obviously. Then they host West Virginia. Um, win. which I think is just a very easy win. Then we get to what might be one of the few tests of their season. They go to Manhattan. Yep. Chris Kleiman, undefeated against Lincoln Riley. Yeah, that's true. Um, which is a fun fact. It, it's, it's very fun to me. I, I Okay, I, you know, you talk a lot about win percentages, right? Every single game on Oklahoma's schedule it should be a win. I have them favored by no less than eleven in every game. Holy hell! Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want to. And Kansas State is the Kansas State is the lowest one. It's not. It's not Iowa State um, because that's in Norman. Yeah. But on a neutral side, it would be Iowa State. But because they go to Manhattan and and they have Iowa State and Norman, it's it's actually Kansas State. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I don't want to spoil the rest of my picks here, but it's going to be really hard for me to say. Actually, I think Oklahoma is going to lose this game, and yeah, so I think I, they'll I, beat Kansas State. I think they will. 
Um, and then they have Texas right after, and they have TCU. Look, if Kansas State is what they're supposed to be, if TCU is what they're supposed to be, if Sark can come in at Texas and kind of install some of this vision, you know, Joshua Moore is a real downfield threat, but Sean Robinson's physical, their offensive line looks good. That's potentially a really tough three-game stretch. It is, and I will say— Relative to the rest of the schedule, yeah. Yes, and, and as a TCU fan, I would say I'm glad TCU is at the tail end of that. Where yeah, I like that a lot. You have to gear up for at Kansas State uh, and then Texas at the Cotton Bowl, and then they host TCU. But hey, that's still you know they're they're battered down, whatever. And TCU kind of sneak in there and maybe steal something. Um, I mean, I think I think Oklahoma's going to win all those games. I'm sorry. Oh, it's fine. Uh, Max has been chewing on crap all the time. Um, I think Oklahoma's going to win all those games, but I, I do think that is the, the greatest chance for them to lose is in that trip. It's kind of like what we did with Iowa State last year or last week where it was like, dude, where where's the plausible loss? Like, what's yeah. the weird one? That stretch, Kansas State, Texas, TCU, if I had to, if I was gun to my head, one loss, I'm going in that stretch. I, 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 I am too. Because after that, I mean, good Lord, at Kansas, home for Tech, at Baylor, win, win, win. Poor, dude, poor Baylor. <laughs> <laughs> Oklahoma starters are going to be on the bench in the first quarter against Kansas. They're going to be on the bench in the first quarter against Texas Tech. And then they have a bye. Like, Marvin Mims is going to be like, please, God, can I just score touchdowns? Like, can I just do it to get it out of my system? I'm begging you to leave me in this game. Yeah, Poor Baylor. Um, November 20th against Iowa State is again a a likely, not not a likely, a plausible loss. I I don't think that's an issue. I do think it's really interesting. Last week, you know, I said Iowa State has to play three national championship or a Big 12 championship games in a row. Yep. Um, the way their schedule breaks. Oh, you might have to beat Iowa State twice in three weeks. That's that's hard. That doesn't speak to even their relative quality. It's just hard to beat somebody twice in three weeks. It is hard. Would you say it's harder for Oklahoma to beat, let's say this hypothetical where this is Iowa State. You know, they both kind of come into this game undefeated, right? I think, as we said, was, was a potential um, or certainly playing for the Big 12 title, right? Would, would you say it's harder for Oklahoma to beat Iowa State that first time or in the Big 12 championship game? Well, so I think that's something we do statistically, right? Okay. Is we say, oh, well, because I'm favored in both of them, I'd rather lose the first one because then I won't sure, lose the second absolutely. one. I, I mean, honestly, what I'd love to do, I, I, I want to win every game, right? Like, I don't right, think there's right. any mojo... You know, people talk about 2014 and losing to Baylor for TCU, right? Mm -hmm. And they say, oh, well, if they hadn't lost that game, then they wouldn't have won at West Virginia or, and they wouldn't have, you know, gone on to blow in the P. I just don't know that that's true. I I don't know that I believe that kind of narrative. I don't either. So I honestly would rather, um, in that situation, I'd rather beat Iowa State because then against Oklahoma State, you can you can check out, right? You could say yeah. no one's getting hurt. Yep. We're going to beat, you know, if we lose that game, it doesn't really matter because we're still going to go to the Big 12 championship. Right. So if you lose there, then, then you know, maybe the Big 12 championship's on the line against Oklahoma State. I don't know. There's all yeah, sorts of ways I, you can I mean, yourself into that. But. I, I'm not saying, I, I guess I probably didn't phrase the question right, but it's not which one would you rather. It's which one would be harder. Um, I mean, I, I think it would be very hard. I, there's no world where I see Oklahoma State losing twice. Or Oklahoma losing yeah, to Iowa. I, I know. I just like. I just. I, I think if, if I'm Oklahoma, like, I think the easier game to win would be the Big Twelve title. Well, no, because Iowa State's at home too. I don't know. I, I, I think they're going to win both those damn games. I really just because it's at home. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just. I just don't know. I, I again. Uh, but I, I think we said last week it would. It's probably on brand for like 
Iowa State to lose a stupid one and beat Oklahoma, and then Oklahoma to beat them in the Big 12 championship. Yeah. Like, that seems like what's going to happen, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Who could say? Um, but then, and then, so we should mention they finish at Oklahoma State. And as we know in Bedlam, anything can happen. Uh, and then Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State. Yeah. What is it? What is it? I, I don't know whose joke this is. I'm stealing it, but it's like Oklahoma can win by a little bit or Oklahoma <laughs> yeah. can win by a lot. <laughs> The, the possibilities are endless. It went by. Yeah, it's 19, 20, 21, is... 22, 23. Yeah, anything. Okay, can I can I put you on the spot? So we're gonna do we're, we'll do our little bits and then we'll end with um uh we'll end with you know alumni because that's fun. But where? So again, really really quickly, and then I'll add a new one. Uh, what percent crazy is it if Oklahoma's in the Big Twelve Championship? Zero. Zero. Let's invert that. What percent crazy is it? that Oklahoma uh, is not in the Big 12 championship this fall? Oh. Um, I'm going to say 80. I was going to go like 85. So yeah. I'm, I'm writing that well. It's like, it would be very crazy, but I'm allowing a lane enough just because of how deep the Big 12 middle class is. Right. That if for whatever reason, Oklahoma's offensive line rotation doesn't get worked out, if their cornerbacks really turn out to be way underwhelming, mm-hmm. Like, okay, maybe they lose two and in a long season, a regular season, two teams only lose one. Maybe. I, I yeah, but so 80, 85 or 80, 85 sounds about yeah. right. Um, okay, so the question is always when's the next year you can see the Big 12 or Oklahoma winning the Big 12? 2021. Will Oklahoma not be in the Big 12 championship before they? So let me rephrase that. Let's say. Oklahoma is going to leave when the grant of rights are up. Nothing crazy is going to happen. They're going to leave in 2025. Yep. How many Big 12 championship games do you think they make from 2001 to 2025? So that's 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Of the next five, right, saying the Big 12 has a shelf life, how many Big 12 championship games do you expect them to be in? Five. Oh, what if Lincoln I mean, Riley goes to the Cowboys next year? <laughs> I mean, that would be. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. I, I, in that case, four. Maybe you give the new guy a year, a turnover year. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I think I have to say five there as well. Um, okay, let me let me put you on the spot and do a new one. Okay. If Oklahoma gets the three or four seat, let's say they're they're just because of the Big Twelve and the scheduling and everything, and they're probably going to lose a stupid game as they're prone to do, but they make the playoff. What is their worst possible matchup as the lower seed in the playoff? Oh man, uh, trying to think of really good. This is gonna sound dumb. Uh, Georgia. Elaborate. I think their defense is good enough to not stop but slow the Oklahoma offense and I think their offense is good enough to take advantage of any weaknesses in the Oklahoma defense like we said uh, uh, with yeah. their cornerbacks I like that a lot um, really good um, excuse me really good secondary they got we, we're not talking enough about the fact that Tyke Smith transferred from West Virginia yeah. to a Georgia defense that is already yeah. freaking loaded it's insane um, and they have experience on the on the uh, offensive side at quarterback and and yeah so I like that one a lot I, I I think I agree. I would say the only other one is I, I would say is Clemson. I don't think I, I don't think Alabama because I think Alabama has a young quarterback yep. and 
uh, the outside receiver, someone's going to have to step up. I, I know they probably will, but we don't know about that yet. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wouldn't put them first. So I, I, I might say Georgia or Clemson just because, you know, Venables and defense sure. uh, yeah. is, is pretty is pretty stark there. So, um, and I think that, that, that DJ at Clemson is probably the most dynamic quarterback that they will see in the playoff. Yeah. And... For defenses that are already stressed, that's a little hard to defend somebody dynamic like that. So flip side, what is the the playoff matchup they want the most? Uh, any random Pac-12 school that might sneak in? Or well, the- you gotta you gotta wait that by like who's gonna who's gonna get in there? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well yeah. Oh, so I was, okay. Oh, we should have talked about this beforehand. Do you know Notre Dame is ranked like six at the coaches poll? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know Notre Dame's quarterback <laughs> is Jack <Cohen? laughs> So Notre Dame would be my answer because that's a possibility. No, well, it's I, Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn's not walking through that door. Uh, there's no way Notre Dame makes the playoff. That's we're doing. Six. We'll do the show next week. We'll we'll do this. No way. Um, do you? I, I, I don't have a good answer. Do you have a good answer? Here, here's my hot take answer. I think Lincoln Riley wants that Ohio State secondary. Okay, that's interesting. I think I, he I wants kind of it. Agree. Yeah. I don't know that that's smart. Like this is like a. Um, Gosh, I don't even know the analogy. I was trying to figure out like a scenario where you get to pick your opponent, uh, like a Mortal Kombat ladder or something. I don't know. But Lincoln Riley is like, yeah, I'm going to take my chances against that Ohio State secondary. So granted, I would rather play USC or Arizona State. Uh, But yeah. So I just thought about Arizona State. It's crazy that like they're not going to make the playoff, but it's crazy that like there will be very good under Herm effing Edwards. I actually love that they are um, ritually murdering staff to try and, like, every couple of days, they're, like, firing a guy to try and stave off these sanctions that are inevitable. <laughs> I respect it. That's, that's 0% chance that Herm is the coach in 22. He's just trying to, like, get them off their back enough so they start the season so that the NCAA can't come down. I don't know. They're, he's a good coach. Like he is no, I'm saying team. he's gonna he's gonna have to leave because they're oh, well, definitely yeah. cheating with recruiting. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Arizona State. They should get a free pass. Who cares? We'll we'll talk more about national stuff next week. Yeah. Let's do our favorite. Uh, let, let's close this bad boy out with our favorite segment. Okay, Parker. Um, what if I told who's you? the funniest Oklahoma alumni? That's where we're going. Okay, for. funniest and people don't talk about this enough is Daryl Royal. Yes. Okay. Tie not tie. I I forget which one's which. Solid verbal, you know, solid verbal. Yeah, yeah. I don't really listen to them as much anymore, but I like them a lot. I do too. Dan, I think Dan did like a college football history series. Uh-huh. And he did one about Red River in like three or four episodes. It was great. And yeah. everyone should go listen to it. I did not know before I listened to that, that Daryl Royal was like an Oklahoman. And it was like a scandal that he took the Texas job. Yeah. And they named the stadium after. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um who else? Uh, Fred Hayes, who uh, Apollo thirteen astronaut, big space guy over here. I believe that was uh, Ooh, that was good. I, that was Bill Paxton in the movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. Paxton, I'm, I'm yeah. cheating. I'm cheating with this one. Brian Bosworth is hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just it is. as a person. Yeah, he's he's very Oklahoma. Uh, shout out for all the golf fans out there. Uh, Anthony Kim, a, a a hero lost. Anthony Kim Parker. I'm gonna try to contextualize this for you. Anthony Kim was like. Um, okay, he's kind of like if Baker Mayfield like wasn't Heisman Trophy good, but was still very good and very exciting, and also like a cocky like uh, you know kind of ne'er do well 
I would say, and then just vanish off the face of the planet. <laughs> That's it. But, but it, like, you captured the hearts and minds of many. I would say. Anthony I'm James into a that. Big fan of that. Um, Olivia uh, Munn. Another one that's interesting that's not, I don't know, that's funny, is Olivia Munn, the actress. Maybe yeah. you were just saying that. I yeah, was. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I cut you off. Um, yeah. You People want to say she's from uh, X, uh, from the newsroom, but X-Men is how I remember her. I, so. Listen, we don't. you don't want to get me started on the newsroom. One of the worst television shows ever made. Um, okay, here's the thing, though. It's not bad until you realize how many people, like, idolize it and think it's good. Like, there are cringy moments in it, and you're like, this is fine. It's like benign and silly, but the level of severity with which people treat Aaron Sorkin stuff is like, okay, Big Bang Theory. You know the show Big Bang Theory? Yeah, I'm aware of it, yes. Never watched it. No. But what I heard is like the difference between How I Met Your Mother and Big Bang Theory, and I'm not, I'm not dying on this, it's just for example, but like Big Bang Theory is a show about smart people written for stupid people, and How I Met Your Mother, or whatever your favorite show is, is a show about dumb people written for smart people, friends, whatever, whatever you want, whatever you want to put in there. I don't really care. More important show about smart people written for dumb people. That's what the newsroom is. The newsroom is a smart show. It's, but it's, it's written for dumb people. And when you put that lens on it, you realize that like everyone who takes that seriously is just nonsense. Oh. Yeah. Just very dumb. Yeah. Show. No, like I, first off, like a few good men is one of my favorite movies and that's a Sorkin. Um, but you got to like and, take it for what it is, which is just ridiculous. Um, well, the, this might get too political. I, it's coming off here, but like the number of like people who are involved in politics in America today who think like the West Wing is normative. Oh yeah, no, like I, I love the West Wing too, <laughs> but like it's it's not. Yeah, it's not how that works. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Anita Hill is an Oklahoma. Ooh, being too political. Okay, all right, we're getting spicy now. Anita Hill is an Oklahoma uh, uh, Oklahoma alum. Google that, kids. Uh, who else? Um, oh, uh, one of my favorite uh, ESPN anchors, Dari Noka. Uh, don't think oh, I pronounced his last name right, but uh, yeah, great, great ESPN anchor. Um, Pat Bolin, former owner of the Denver Broncos, RIP. Clay Bennett, who owns the Thunder. Uh, oh, I like that. Yeah, they had like uh, two sports owners. It's pretty good. Um, not yeah. Anyway, that's. I really just wanted to get to <laughs> Daryl Royal being an OU grad because it's yeah, that was that was really fun. Also, I feel like I've heard of Eric Rasmussen, but maybe Rasmussen is something else. Uh, like a poll. There's a Rasmussen um, who is a coach, but this is an atmospheric scientist. What has he done? Yeah. So let me. I'm gonna. I, you know what? Because I like STEM, and I think we should all be involved in STEM. I'm gonna read a little bit about Eric Rasmussen. He went to Oklahoma, okay. got a master's at Texas Tech, got a PhD. At Colorado State, and he is known for supercell and tornado genesis research. That's pretty so cool. So he is a, a a pioneer in the field of meteorology. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna give you Grant. I'm gonna give you one trivia question real quick, and then we'll okay. We'll go on. Okay, uh, Mookie Blaylock, Oklahoma grad. Yeah. Can you tell me why he is famous in music, or would have been famous in music? Mookie Blaylock. In music, no, he's an athlete, right? Yeah, he's a basketball player. Is there a song like you know that Mo Bamba song? Is there like a Mookie Blaylock? Song no, that, that's that's a good Mo Bamba impersonation. No, uh, Mookie Blaylock was the original name of Pearl Jam. Weird. Yeah, they're big basketball fans, and their debut album's name is Ten because that's the number he wore. That's really fun. I yeah, like how about that? Into that? How about that? A little trivia in the pod. Um, interesting. That's very fun. <laughs> what a 
what a great note to end on. You know, you learn something new. Life is a gift. You learn something new every day. Um, Grant, this has been the Purple Theory Podcast. I don't know that we have any business to talk about necessarily. Really. Um, next week, we're going to banter about some national stuff. And then, you know what? I, I just think that between, between you know, all the episodes we've had on defense have been really popular and people want more about defense. And so next week we're going to have another defensive expert come on the podcast and give us more information. We're taking like a little detour before the season. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll talk national stuff and then we're going to have a, a defensive expert come on and just tell us more about the differences between Dave Aranda and Gary Patterson than anyone ever wanted to know. It is going to be exhausting in a good way. So uh, make sure you subscribe for that. Other than that, you can follow me on Twitter at StatsOWar. Go check out uh, the at BetUS College Football show that I did today. Uh, you can find Grant on Twitter at Grant McGalliard, spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. Other than that, we'll be here next week. And then the next week, we're going to preview Duquesne. And then we're going to go two times a week. And football season is here. So really exciting. Um, Grant, any closing thoughts? No problem.